0: is taken from Acts 4, verses 32, through to Acts 5, verses 11, and that can be found on page 1094 of the Blue Bibles in the seats in front of you. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events.
1: Father, we do thank you as we come before you now, and I pray that you would open our hearts and minds as we think about being part of your community here and what that means as a core value for St. Matthews. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, my first experience of what I would call genuine Christian community uh, was in a Bible study group some 32 years ago, and I had begun to investigate the Christian faith and I'd come along uh, at the end of this journey, uh, and I was interested enough to kind of, if I can say, be a Bible study group, but I wasn't yet a Christian, and I remember that experience to this day. It was the first time that I'd actually been in a group with Christians uh, as an adult who were reading the Bible and praying, which, if you're not familiar with that, can be a kind of odd experience, And a number of things struck me on that day. And I know this first one might sound bad or judgmental, but as I went in, I remember thinking, these are not the people who I used to hang out with. And I'd grown up and I'd perceived myself to be a bit cooler than them, if I can put it that way, I say with shame. Um, They weren't the guys or girls that I would typically knock about with uh, or want to socialise with. But yet here I was uh, in this group with them. And it was quite a striking thing for me to be there that day. And the second thing that struck me was, um, because I was very conscious of, if I can say, being there with them, but they just welcomed me in. And, And they'd known me for many years, and they knew I had not hung out with them. And yet, when the invitation came from them, I went and they then welcomed me with incredible grace and love. And it was very humbling. And I remember sitting there in that group and I didn't say a lot that night, which is okay by the way if you're new to small groups, you can just sit and be part of it and listen if you're not familiar. At the end of the night they prayed for me and it was profound that this group of people cared for me even though really in my upbringing, in my sort of teenage years, I really hadn't wanted to do anything to do with them and kind of thought them a bit nerdy and dorky and all those kind of things. And yet here I was, recipient of their love and grace. I was deeply touched by that community of what I call unlikely Jesus followers. And it's no coincidence that within a couple of short weeks, I was one of them. And they became friends. And Christian community is a very powerful and significant part of how God works to grow his church. At its best, it's one of the most powerful and tangible ways that God works to bear witness to himself. When people come into the community and the fellowship of God's people who are not yet following Christ, and they experience love and grace, the truth of the gospel resonates powerfully. And today I want us to think about our second core value, that of community, as we think through what it means to grow God's church through the gospel and to make disciples filled with love, grace and truth. And we looked at the Bible and prayer last week, foundational for us in our life together, today, community. And what I want to do is look at Acts chapter 4 verse 43 that we looked at through to chapter 5 verse Uh, verse 17. And what I hope we see is that uh, a gospel-shaped community is one where God is powerfully at work to produce care, generosity, holiness and growth. Now it's worth saying, um, I'm not going to do, if I can say, a New Testament theology of community. Uh, There's a whole range of materials in the letters to the churches that speak of what the reality of community is. And you just think of the one another statements and what that teaches about community. Now we're not going to deal with that today, I just want us to look at what Luke has to say about this early church community and what we can learn from that. Because in the narrative, we had this wonderful episode where Peter and John went out and they healed the uh, the crippled uh, man last week. He stops now to kind of give a summary statement about the community. And there's two statements which kind of bookend a very powerful and striking incident, which I'm going to talk about, which is to do with Ananias and Sapphira. But these two summary statements bookend a very powerful moment within the community so that's where we're going today and if I can sum up my observation as I read through this Christi- uh, the Christian community is a place where God is powerfully at work and I say that because um, the church is not a secular institution and that's not to have a go at if I can say community groups and I imagine many of us may be part of community groups, everything from sporting clubs uh, to interest groups. Uh, I'm part of, as I said two weeks ago, the Bold and Beautiful, the Pink Caps. Uh, that's a community group here in Manly, uh, and these groups, at their best, are wonderful in the way that they can value people, be inclusive. Uh, they don't want to be intolerant. They want to care for people, etc., etc. Uh, and they want to enjoy life together. And so all those things we say amen to, good things to happen in our community. But what different, differentiates us? from all the other communities, is this profound truth. We are the community where the living God is at work in our midst. And I don't just mean the idea of God. I mean, he's actually present with us in our life together. The Christian community is the place where God is at work. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, let's open up. Uh, we're page 1094 and we're reading from Acts chapter 4 and I want to firstly just go through and observe some of the things that you see there. And I'm starting at verse 32, Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own but they shared everything they had. Now that is remarkable in itself. We're going to come back to that uh, note of Generosity. And Luke says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them. Now, that phrase, it's a beautiful phrase and it's a summary phrase where Luke is really showing you the climate of the church. The apostles are preaching, they're continuing to testify powerfully about the resurrection and the result of the preaching of the gospel is that his grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, is powerfully at work amongst the people, in all of them. Now grace is his undeserved kindness towards us. You might say it's his disposition. He's a graceful God. He accepts us, he calls us into the family on the basis of his grace. But his grace is also, if I can say, an incredibly powerful power that works in us. In other words, when you understand the grace of God and when you receive the grace of God in your life, it actually transforms you. As you realise that you are accepted... And by His Spirit, He helps us know that we are accepted. By His Spirit, He helps us know we're forgiven. By His Spirit, He helps us know that we are loved. By His Spirit, we're born again. And you see, this is the experience of God's grace at work in our lives. It's the experience of being a Christian. And I hope you know that. And look, if you don't know that reality of being wonderfully accepted on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection and welcomed into his family through his grace. I'd love to chat with you afterwards. We'd love to pray with you afterwards so that you know that. It's simply a matter of putting your faith in Christ and handing your life over to him and finding his love and acceptance through his death and resurrection. And this power of grace profoundly transformed this group of people The first area, care and generosity. Now, it's very easy to read over these first few words. There were no needy persons among them. Now, just stop and think about that. What community do you know where there is no needy person amongst them? In other words, there's such a sense of community life and connectedness Combined with concern and care, that you can write that there's no needy persons there. Luke says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and invested in the stock market. Now it's not what he says, does he? <laughs> they gave it away to care. Indeed, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus did this very thing they would bring it and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need and joseph the levite whom the apostles called barnabas which meant son of encouragement sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles feet you see how did the grace of god transform these people well one of the most tangible ways you saw it was how they cared for people and literally the church began on a day The day when Peter preached the day of Pentecost, and you had people gathered from literally around the empire who were of Jewish origin, and they'd come for that feast of Pentecost, and they're now there. And what the Christians do is they rally, and they give, and they look after, and they care with no sense of holding back. It's quite incredible. And I say that because deep in our souls as people is the reality that we seek to look after ourselves. That is the problem of the human condition. It's the reality of what we call sin. That we seek our own interests first. And you see that profoundly with people today and how we use our money. We well, think it'll either do one of two things. One, it'll bring safety or it'll bring happiness. Or we maybe think both. But we want a big bank account so that we feel secure in life. We want a big bank account so we can do much in life. And that's typically how the world views money. It's not what happened here. You see, the grace of God had so transformed them. And I don't think the human heart has changed over uh, the time the Bible's been written. They're the same hearts we have in terms of self-interest and the need for security and the search for happiness and joy. But no, these Christians so transformed just freely, instinctively sold and gave. And one of the great marks of the grace of God at work in a church is the way people are cared for and the way people are generous with their finances. But another great marker is holiness. We read on. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But what happened is these two people sought to make a name for themselves illegitimately and it was a sin of pride and boastfulness and they basically sold the property kept half we suspect half maybe more and then announced to the church that they'd given everything and withheld nothing And you can see that there in chapter 5 verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put at the apostles' feet. But the problem was, he said, actually, we've brought everything, when in fact they'd kept a secret stash for themselves, because they didn't want to let go of it. And note what happens. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and have kept some for yourself, kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? And it's important to note that. You see, what he's saying is, um, you are under no obligation to give. It's not like because you had a property you had to sell it. The property was actually yours to be a responsible steward with. After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal. Okay, you've got the money. You can actually, under God, work out what you're going to do with it. There was no obligation to give it all. You could have just said, I've kept some because I need some, and I'm going to give the other part. But no, what they did was they made out that they'd given it all. And what happens is very powerful. He says you've lied not just to human beings but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Now, Sapphira was not there at the time. She comes back three hours later. When Ananias heard this, he fell down. About three hours later, verse 7, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. You see, the body's been wrapped up, taken out, and they buried him. It all happened very quickly. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? In other words, the inflated price. Yes, she said, that's the price. <laughs> at that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. No surprises about the next verse. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Uh, it's worth saying there's something very confronting about this story and it raises questions in your mind about the very nature and character of God but it is worth seeing what's at stake here we don't own this community we don't have control of it it actually is we're the people of God and we are led by the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit and he's the one who guides us and directs us and it's not up to us how we live we actually need to follow and obey how he says we should live and dear to the character of God is his holiness that he is perfect and pure and the call through all of scripture from the old testament to the new is that the people of God will reflect their holiness now That's a status that we have in Christ. We are made holy. It's not something we have to work towards, but we actually have to live it out. And you see in one of the most profound, and I want to say confronting ways, God's anger at sin. And I don't use those words lightly or carelessly. It is his anger. These people were struck down and dead. And that is a reality to God that he is angered at the way people rebel against him. And so questions come, where is the justice in this? I thought God was loving and gracious. That's how you started this message. Well, he is gracious and loving, but he's also just and holy. So how do you make sense of this? This isn't the only person who is struck down. In Scripture, there's numbers of people in the Old Testament. There are two in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira and Herod, chapter 12 of Acts. You can only make sense of it, I think, when you understand the most unjust of people who were struck down, the most innocent person who was struck down and died. And that, of course, is God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to the Father's own plan, was handed over to death and had a death sentence from the moment he was born. And when you view the cross, you see how the love and the mercy and the grace of God come together with the justice and the holiness of God. As God pours his anger out on an unjust victim, an innocent victim, his son, why? Out of his love for us, so that we can be saved and forgiven and friends this incident was to remind people in the most striking ways that God is holy and there's a rightness when the Bible says we should walk with fear and wonder how we live matters to God and let me just say it matters in terms of our witness to the world And friends, if if there's areas in your life where there is sin undealt with, I would call you to repent and to turn around and let go of it and seek the mercy and grace of God. And so the church, the early church, was marked by incredible grace and generosity, but also a beautiful yet fearful holiness and the last thing you see, though, is this. The church, though, continued to still grow. It's quite remarkable. You read on in verse 12, the apostles performed many signs of wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, no one else dared join them, because there's kind of a, Ooh, do we want to be part of that? Even though they were highly regarded by the people. And you see, this is the thing with holiness. When you combine that with love and generosity, there is a distinctiveness that stands out. Where people are attractive, but ooh, there's something about them that is so wonderful, but yet, do I want to be part of it? Well, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And in short, despite God acting to judge the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, he continued to draw people to himself as the Gospels proclaimed. And this is the reality of when God is present in his people, there'll be incredible care and generosity that flows from his grace, but there'll be a wondrous holiness... Because we know that we have a holy God who's in our midst. And God will use that as the gospel is preached to continue to grow his people to be his living witnesses in the world. And I just want to encourage you here today, and I want to encourage the whole church. Um, As someone who's been here for eight years, I sense the way God is at work here. One of the things I hear from uh, people who wander in is there's a sense of God being here. Now, I often think, that. what do they mean by that? I'm not quite sure, but there is the reality that God is here in this community doing wonderful things where people are getting saved. And there's wonderful care and generosity. And I pray that there is holiness. I think there will be an ongoing battle for us as Christians in this very dark culture, to shine like lights. And we have been growing. And I want to say it's wonderful, I want you to be encouraged, but I also want to say, don't be apathetic. We actually need to grow in our passion for God and seek our joy in knowing him, not in endless, meaningless activity or material lifestyles but have a hunger and thirst for the living God to be present here in ever more powerful ways, growing his people as the living presence of him here in man. May we pray for revival. Wouldn't that be a great day? I pray for it every week. Well, let me stop and look at one of these issues, that of generosity. Now, if you've been here for the entire time I've been at the St Matthews, at this time of the year, I always would preach on money for an entire message. And I've broken my tradition this year uh, deliberately. I'm only going to speak for about five, seven minutes about it. This is normally when I would give, for want of a better word, the money talk. And I've deliberately chosen not to this year. And one of the reasons is this. Um, There's been such incredible generosity and people responding financially to support the ministry of the gospel here, our mission partners, people in need. Um, And in the words of Scott, it's kind of got ridiculous the way people have been generous. And I thought, the last thing I want to do is come and beat you up about being generous, when in fact that's what you're doing. And and it really is quite remarkable. Um, Two years ago we raised money for mission and I set the paltry target of $85,000 and we had 170 come in. Last year it was $250,000 for the roof. We exceeded that by $50,000. We had $150,50k over for the um, midwinter appeal. And for me, it's an evidence of the way God is working in people's hearts, uh, that the checkbooks are being freed up, and the credit cards and the bank accounts are being used to support gospel ministry. And I know that the generosity doesn't stop there; it extends in all sorts of ways. But I do want to stop and just think, what can we learn from this passage? Because there's some important things to see here. Because you see this incredible, generous early church at work. And one thing to note is, what you see here is really the change of the guard. Because in the Old Testament prior to this, all the giving was, if I can put it in two ways, uh, mandated and prescribed up until this point. And this episode marks the changing of the guard to a whole different way of thinking about giving. And it's almost like the teaching on giving had to catch up with the practice of the giving. Because you see, in the Old Testament, it was mandated. You had to give in certain ways at certain times of the year. And it was prescribed, you will tithe. And then you will give other things on top of that, and tithe is a tenth. And at various times of the life of Israel, it was healthy and sometimes it was not healthy. Malachi is a classic example when they were robbing God. But when you come here to the New Testament, the sense of being mandated and prescribed is gone. And what you see is four things here in this passage. First is it was free. Um, They just responded and gave without having to be asked or mandated. And you can see that there in the passage that uh, as... The needs arose people just gave generously and it reminds me if I can say the teaching of Paul kind of catches this up later in the uh, New Testament era he says each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and that's exactly what you see here and it's what we want to keep modeling uh, we want to encourage people to give freely secondly it was generous now tithing is superseded by generosity And what you can see here in very concrete terms is it far exceeded the tithe. There's no way when they sold a piece of land they were giving 8% or 5% or 2%. (laughs) They were being very generous. And you see, that's what the New Testament now teaches. Generosity. Because people often ask me, oh, okay, so I don't have to tithe so I can give less. And I go, well, how's that being generous? Generous. Now if you want a reflection on that inside your bulletin I've got the financial update with the three-quarter year um, numbers I'll speak about them in a second as well as some teaching material on the Bible and giving and you'll see there the 10% philosophy etc etc common questions Uh, and I always say to people if you've never given before start at 10% and then work your way up and be more generous. That's the second thing. Thirdly Uh, the giving was centralised and this is interesting to note they brought the money and proceeds and brought it to the apostles feet you mightn't think there's much in that but what struck me was there was a sense of which um, the money was taken and it was open and it was given and it was then distributed and so there was one of the functions and you see this through the new testament uh, that there is a centralised sense of giving towards ministry And they would have given both to support, if I can say, the preaching of the gospel and the apostles so that they're looked after. And you see that in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about the fact that uh, you support those whose ministry is preaching the gospel, as well as those who are in need. But the point I want to make is there was an openness to it and there was a centrality about it. And it's one of the reasons why we publish our figures every quarter. that I want the members to know how we're going and what's happening. And at the back of that, you'll see the numbers. And let me just say, as I commend you for generosity, uh, it's been a great year so far, and we are running 30K uh, above budget, um, which I think is an incredible result because this is the first year we've not had money from the shop property. There's a very small amount for maintenance, but after that, it all goes into a holding deposit account um, in preparation for the building renovations. And you can see the details and the numbers there. But this is the first time in 40 years, in living memory, this has happened. And it's because of the way people have responded. And when I first came here eight years ago, and if you talk to some of the leadership who were here at that time, they never even got close to this. And so I do want to say thank you. Uh, I also want to say please continue to do it (laughs) Uh, because budgets go up every year. Uh, It's also worth saying this, um, I'm always very scared of churches that do not publish their books. It is a very bad practice. In fact, it's a scary practice that leaves people open to all sorts of uh, wrong things that can happen. It doesn't mean they necessarily do, uh, but I'd be very wary of churches that don't publish their books. It's why we have an annual report, an annual general vestry meeting where the books are open and questions can be asked. It's why we have external auditors who are not Christian who come and examine us each year, and they're the one people who put fear in the minds of the uh, treasury team. And that's a good thing, uh, because they keep us to account. And then lastly, it was distributed to those in need. And you can see that there is those who were, if I can say, needy. Uh, It would have also been the apostolic band that they were looked after. And it's worth saying, we're trying to do two things. Our regular giving goes to support the ministry here, so it continues on. We also have a care fund, We've started the Grace Group ministry so that those who are in particular need, we can help. And every week or two, something will come in and I'll just say, yep, let's do it. Because I want to be able to help people here. Because I want us to be a group where there is no one in need. Now, some of that can come in other ways, but other times we can go, no, we can do this. And that money sits there able to be used. And I want you to know that, that that's the kind of church we are. So there's four things you can see from there. And I would just commend them to you, uh, that you would be free and generous in your giving and supporting of the ministry and supporting of people in need as we seek to responsibly manage the monies here and be open and transparent in all that we do. Now, if I could just speak briefly about uh, giving for the church uh, in terms of uh, Commitment Day... One of the reasons we have Commitment Day is I think it's a helpful thing practically to actually get everyone to stop and to reflect on their money and what they're doing with their money. And that's why we have uh, the pledge card for what you're going to give. It's a practical encouragement to say, okay, what am I going to do? And I do this every year. Uh, with my wife we talk about how we're going to contribute and our practice has always been we tithe first to the church and we want to give over and above that to mission uh, as well as to people in need etc etc and we want to be generous and grow in generosity and so I will sit down in the next week with my wife and I will fill this in and I will put in the basket and we'll consider because every year I'm trying to give more and more and I'd encourage you if you know Christ And this is the place that you call home spiritually to be a part of that. But we also will consider, Kath and I, what we want to give to the mission partners. All of them are wonderful. Uh, And I'm actually asking you not to pick which one because I just want to say we actually want to support all of them. And let me say, if we get extra money in, we will try and give that away. And I do want to make note, we had extra money come in at the uh, foundation... And we've allocated that for a couple of special projects. And I've been waiting to hear back um, about, we've got, like, with Scripture, there's a $30,000 project out of $50,000, which we're trying to give away. (laughs) Um, But we haven't been able to get that locked down. Now, when I get news of that, uh, because I actually want to just give the money out, uh, we've had such a blessing. um, And it's to do with a new venture here on the Northern Beaches with teaching high school Scripture that we're able to do some seed funding for. And I just want to say that's what we want to do and uh, it's exciting when you can do that. So if you gave it mid-year and you wonder what happened to the extra 50, Uh, we're still working on it and I hope to announce that very shortly. Um, But I want to commend it and for you to give to that. Let me finish. Friends, uh, it is a great blessing being here at St. Matthews. And, And I love being here and serving and having the privilege of leading the church. And the reason I love it the most is because of the sense of God at work here in this group of people and in each congregation. And the joy when you get to the end of the year with a celebration dinner and do come along and you can actually celebrate what God has done. You go, It is such a blessing to be here. And I want to encourage you to be that sort of church as we seek to grow God's church through the gospel and as we seek to make disciples who are filled with love, grace and truth and are sharing that in manly and beyond, that we would be that sort of community where God is powerfully at work. Let's stop and pray. And if there's things that you need to pray about, be it holiness, be it money, Maybe it's just receiving God's grace in your life. I'm going to give you a moment just to be quiet now and do that. I wonder this morning, is there someone here who really just needs to know the grace of God in their life? And to know his love and acceptance because of where you're at. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you right now. You might want to just put your hand up so I can just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray for people today who need to know your grace at work in their life. Maybe even to come to you for the first time. May you open their eyes to see what Christ has done for them on the cross. And by your spirit, may your love and grace flow in their lives, in their hearts and their minds, so that they know they are loved and accepted and treasured by you. Amen. I wonder if there are people here this morning who are grappling with a sin that they need to turn away from. Let me pray for you. Father, it's always awkward and uncomfortable when you convict us of things we know we need to let go of, but, Father, it's in our best interest. And I pray if there's people who are grappling with that very thing today, that you give them strength to confess it and turn away from it. And may they seek help in the fellowship of a trusted friend. But give them the courage to repent this day, I pray in Jesus' name. And for all of us, I pray that you would free our hearts and minds and continue the work you've done in the church already to be even more generous and more caring. May it be a wonderful description of St Matthew's that there is no one in need in the midst of the people. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.